I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 John. It's all the way in the back of your Bible. Again, 1 John, he's reading from chapter 2, begin our time. We're reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I'll read this, um, this section because the whole of the book of 1 John is really focusing on the gift of eternal life. So any passage that you come to in some way pertains to that. And this, uh, these few verses, I think, although it doesn't mention the word life or eternal life, really pictures for us what that life is like in the lives of those who have received it. it kind of describes it for us. And I won't be doing an explanation of these verses in any kind of um, systematic fashion, but I think it will help set the tone for what we'll be looking at this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, now that we have your word open before us, we ask that you would open our hearts to it, so that we would not be hindered in any way by stubbornness or callousness or indifference towards the truth of your word. But Father, would you even now create in us an attitude of humility, and expectation that you will work in us. And I ask you, in the name of your Son, that you would be at work in each one of us to create in us the kind of attitudes and motives and actions that you desire from us as your people. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Eternal life is described in the scriptures as a gift. And that is such a, a key understanding to it. If you don't understand it as a gift, you'll never really understand it. Uh, we understand gifts in general, I hope. I hope you've received a gift at some point in your life. And have you ever received one of those gifts that as you open it and it's revealed to you, you wonder, what in the world do I do with this? Uh, it just kind of befuddles you. You don't know what it's there for, how it works. Uh, that happens to me every now and again. I have a very creative wife who kind of thinks outside of the box, and so the gifts that I receive oftentimes are just kind of a, uh, an enigma to me at first until she explains what's going on. Uh, this past birthday, I um, struggling to come up with what I would ask for, and I asked for a cider prince. Uh, we have apples uh, in our yard, and I like apple cider, and so I thought, well, Let's try out a cider press. I didn't know anything about them. I don't know how much it cost. You can get a personal size one or anything like that. I just put it on a list. Uh, and I opened one of the gifts and knowing that it was pertaining to that, what I had asked for, I open it and I, I see this white mesh bag. What does that have to do with anything? When am I supposed to, I don't, I've never wanted a white mesh bag. I've never thought about one before. Um, 
But it turns out that you put the pulp from the apples in there to squeeze out the juice. And so I'm informed I didn't even know what I was asking for. And um, it turned out to be an amazing gift. And we made apple cider, and it was wonderful. Uh, but I didn't know what it was or how to use it. I'm sure you've had experiences like that. Sometimes we get uh, even new pieces of technology that we ask for or want, and uh, we don't even know what it does to its full capacity. There are these watches uh, that you can ask for, and you, you get it, and you think, oh, great, it tells time. But, well, no, 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 it doesn't, doesn't, I mean, it tells time, but that's not really what it's there for. It answers your call, it keeps your, um, your calendar, it lets you reply to messages, it tells you what you're thinking, what you're gonna have for dinner, you know, all these things, but you, you may not know all the capacities of it because you just utilize it for that one thing that you know it's there for. I think we, we kind of treat eternal life to some degree like that. We know it's a gift, we know it's good, but we wonder, what, is it, what does it do for me here and now? How does it, uh, uh, you know, what are its full bells and whistles? What's all of its functionality? And uh, if we don't understand that, then of course we're missing out. We have to grasp what the gift is that has been given to us so that we respond appropriately to it. And it is a gift, as you know, in Romans 6.23, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we don't understand it as a gift, we're going to just kind of miss it altogether because there is no other way to attain this. It is purely and exclusively a gift from God to his people, the gift of eternal life. The book of 1 John is about eternal life. And that's what we need to understand it's here for us for. And as we think about eternal life, it's easy, perhaps even natural, to think about the duration of the life that is given to us, and that it refers to almost exclusively a future orientation, that we look towards what it is to come, namely heaven, that it is a future-oriented gift. And perhaps you may even think, well, we haven't received it yet because it's something that is to come, because it's referring to heaven. Well, John, in his epistle, does refer to the future orientation of eternal life. That is true. That is a key component of it. If you look at chapter 2, verse 28, you'll see that John has a future-mindedness about it. He says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. This is clearly looking towards the return of Christ and preparing the people of God to be ready for him. And since the whole of the book pertains to eternal life, in some way this does as well, and he is letting us know that we can be prepared and have confidence and not shrink from him. We are to anticipate and be ready for the return of Christ, which will ensure in the next era and the resurrection from the dead. And so certainly eternal life in some way pertains to that. Also in chapter 4, verse 17, you see John refer to the future orientation of this. He says in 4.17, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. That's a wonderful statement because 
it indicates that day of judgment, that day when um, really the, the whole universe will be peeled back and everything laid exposed and everybody called to account. On that day, John is saying that you can have confidence for that day, that you don't have to be quaking in your boots when that day comes. And if you know anything of the holiness of God, his power and his law and his expectation to bring justice to this world, you know that is a day to be feared. And yet John says it is a day in which we can have confidence for. Because we can know that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So when the books are opened, he's not going to evaluate us on the basis of the book of the works of our life, but rather the book of life in which our name is written because of payment that Jesus has made on our behalf. It's a wonderful gift. And so eternal life certainly does pertain to that future orientation. But the main focus in 1 John is on eternal life here and now. That's what he's getting at in chapter 5, verse 13, the main purpose statement of the book. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's referring to that right now, that you would know that's not some other day, but it's right now that you would know it now. Know what? Know that you have, present tense verb, that right now you have eternal life in your possession. Not later, not someday, but now. Knowledge that you have eternal life it's yours right now. This is the goal of the book of 1 John, to let you know, if you have it, that you do have it right now. Not something that's yet to come, although there's components of that, but that you would know right now that you have it. But what do you have? I think that's a pretty crucial question. What is it that you have? If you have eternal life, what is it? And that's really the main question I want to unpack this morning. What is eternal life according to 1 John? That's the main question. What is eternal life according to 1 John? That's what I want to unpack, but before we get there, there are a few other things we need to address. And we need to address, first of all, why you even need to know this. Why is it important that you give attention to this? And I think there's a couple of different groups of people that would have different answers to this, but fundamentally, is if you don't have eternal life right now, then you are living in death. That's a, that's a place we want no one to be. If you don't have eternal life right now, then you are living in death. Sounds like a bit of a contradiction, doesn't it? How can you live in death? And yet, it's the truth. You think, if I'm alive, well, then I'm not dead. But it really depends on what kind of death we're talking about. There is more than one kind of death in this world. The one that we commonly think about is just the physical kind of death, the kind of death where our physical body stops. There's another kind of death, even another death that the Bible focuses on even more, that's spiritual death. And the testimony of Scripture is that from the very start, we are stillborn spiritually. We were conceived in sin. And from the moment we exist, because we inherit sin, we have 
guilt upon us and we are separated from God. Our relationship with him is broken from the very start. Although we enter into physical life, we really start dead. This is a, a crucial topic for obvious reasons. If you are spiritually dead, that means that you have no real relationship with the Almighty God and Creator and Sustainer of all things. Furthermore, He is the God of Heaven. And so if you don't have a relationship with Him, then you will not inherit His Kingdom. Furthermore, you won't even know Him in this life. So you need to come to an understanding of what eternal life is and how you receive it, because that is what you need most especially. So knowing what eternal life is here and now will help you understand why you need it if you're in that category of still remaining in spiritual death. But I think for most of the people in this room, your faith is in Jesus Christ. You believe that he has rescued you from your sins. And really the goal of this book and the series of messages is to speak to you primarily, to encourage you in the knowledge of what has been given to you so that you don't have a gift in your hands that you don't know what it is or what it's done doing or what it's there for, but that you would know what you have. So that question, what is eternal life, will pertain to you, so you know what gift you have been given. So what is eternal life? Well, last week, I, um, I made a comment uh, that was just off the cuff, and I, I kind of regret it. Sometimes we do that, don't we, or we say things that we wish we hadn't. Um, and I said something during the, the second service last time that was a bit of an exaggeration uh, about me listening to Christian radio. If you recall that, I said that I, I, I don't listen to Christian radio very much, and I don't like it. That's all true. I don't apologize for that. Um, but what I said was an exaggeration that I said I listened to about five minutes of it at a time, and most of it is bad. Uh, that's probably over the top. It's, it's not all bad. I wouldn't deny that there is a lot of bad theology promoted in the messages given over that venue, or a lot of bad theology in the songs that are sung, but it's not all bad. There's a lot of good stuff that's out there, too. And in God's um, providence this week, I was listening to five minutes of Christian radio, and it was good. And the, the man who was speaking made a good point pertaining to what we're looking at here in 1 John. He was saying how he sometimes goes to visit cemeteries. And as he looks, he finds a, a common inscription on the gravestones. And the common inscription that you find on almost, uh, on a lot of gravestones anyway, is something like this. Thomas Smith, born January 4th, 1930. And then it concludes with, entered into eternal life June 9, 1998. And the man who was speaking made this comment, and he says, that's not true. That's wrong. You don't enter into eternal life when you die. He would go on to say, eternal life is not connected to physical death. Eternal life is connected to faith and regeneration. And so you enter into eternal life when God gives you that life here and now, and you receive it by faith. That's what he's 
what the scripture speaks about, and that's what the preacher was making his point about. Eternal life is not connected primarily to your death. Eternal life is primarily connected to regeneration, rebirth, and faith. Eternal life is life of God himself. And I want to give you a, a definition. It's a bit wordy and you'll have trouble writing it down if you're trying to take notes. But let me give this to you so you get some ideas about what eternal life is, what God gives. And I won't be unpacking all of this in this message, but it at least gives you what I think 1 John presents as a, a kind of a working definition of eternal life. Eternal life is the life of God himself that he lovingly and freely gives to undeserving people through his Son. The gift of eternal life includes, one, forgiveness of sins through the propitiation made by Jesus Christ. Two, a right relationship with God in which he is now our Father and we are his children through being born of God. Three, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life who leads us to confess Jesus as Christ and live in the truth. Four, eternal life includes a new walk in life in which we walk in righteousness and obedience to the commandments of God. And eternal life includes, fifthly, new relationships rooted in love with others to whom God has also given eternal life. It's a rich topic, not easily summarized. How do you just summarize what eternal life is? Well, if I were to try to boil it down a little bit more, I'd say this just to make it a little more concise. That God himself gives life to sinners that results in a new relationship to God, a new relationship to the world, a new relationship to others born of God that will last forever. When John writes in chapter 2, that passage I read to you earlier, it describes for you the kinds of things that enter into your world when you are given the gift of eternal life. John 2, 1 John 2, verses 12 through 14 talks about the forgiveness of sins. It talks about knowing him who is from the beginning and overcoming the evil one and knowing the Father and overcoming the evil one again. And so it talks about how true life or eternal life is displayed and the forgiveness that is granted to you by God. And life is displayed in a close relationship with God where you know him as Father. And eternal life is displayed in victory over the enemy. I want to give to you now to kind of flesh out this, this idea of what is eternal life. Just some key words that you can kind of hang a, a, a definition of eternal life upon. So we'll look at a few verses. I hope you have your Bible open and you can see this in the text of 1 John. The first word that we'll give to you to describe the kind of life that God gives us is eternal. It's eternal. We almost say eternal life without separating the words, but we realize the primary descriptor of the kind of life God gives us is that it is eternal. It's the adjective that's used in the book six times to describe the kind of life that he gives us. And eternal, according to a dictionary definition, is that kind of life that pertains to an unending duration. The kind of life that pertains to an unending 
duration. And that's, again, what we commonly think. We think eternal life is that living forever kind of idea. But the point of eternal life here in the book of 1 John is that it starts now and keeps going from now until forever. And this is not insignificant. When God made the world, we see in Genesis 1 and 2 that he made all of kind of the physical attributes of the world. He made the seas, the dry land, the heavens. But it wasn't really finished until he imparted life into that world, because those aren't the living things. After he created those spaces, he also then filled it with life. He filled the seas with the sea creatures. He filled the air with the birds, flying creatures. And then he filled the land with the land animals. And then it culminated all with consummation of creation, which was man and woman. And when he made man and woman, he put them in that garden of Eden that he had prepared for them. And you remember that in that garden, there are those two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. They are forbidden from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there is no restriction on the tree of life. And that shows to us that the life that even Adam and Eve had was a gift from God. It wasn't necessarily intrinsic to them, because as they go to that tree of life, it would be a demonstration that their sustaining, living situation is given by God to them. As one theologian puts it, he says, life is not inherent in humanity, and it is not something earned. It is received through eating the fruit of God's tree. Humans are not naturally immortal. All life comes from God. Well, you know what happens next. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and disregarded God's commandment to them. And then death enters, and they effectively die in that moment because they're expelled from the garden, and God places cherubim at the entrance of the garden with flaming swords to restrict them from entering back in and eating from the tree of life. And so death comes to them. And we know that death really comes to us all because of sin. And there's this brokenness and this decay but the primary brokenness that exists in our life, the primary death is that one that exists between us and God because we're dead to Him. We do, are not born with a relationship to Him. We're actually born really as enemies. So at some point in our life, His life needs to enter into us so a relationship is restored and so we can go on living with Him forever. And so the eternal nature of life certainly does refer to the duration of our life so that we can go on and also begin a life where it begins and then there is no ending. But eternal life as a descriptor of the kind of life God gives us is, is more than just duration. It's also a kind of life that he gives us. And that's evident by the beginning and ending of the epistle John writes. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Verse 2, he writes there, The light was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. How do you manifest something that is really infinite? 
Well, it was manifest in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it shows the quality of life that God has. When you look at Jesus Christ, you see the life of God on display. You see a perfect relationship with the Father. You see an attitude of love towards others. You see a kind of um, reverence for the life that you have in giving it over to God. It's the kind of quality that Jesus displayed in his life, and his life was so powerful that he could even impart life to others by raising them from the dead physically, but most of all, he gives life spiritually. At the end of the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. God himself is eternal life. And so as we wonder, what is this gift that he has given us? He's really given us himself. He's given us a relationship to him. And we can only have eternal life by being plugged in to him. There is only one source of this, that is God himself. The fact that we can know that we have eternal life is that we have the very life of God in us. Not that we become God in any way, but that he shares himself with us so that we can truly live. This should be really an encouragement to you who struggle with insurance. If you wonder if you have eternal life, sometimes we, we just take that and run with it and wonder if I'm going to have life then. But really, the assurance that we gain is, do we have life now? We have real life now. And if you have life now, then you will have it forever. Because eternal life is both quality that God gives you and a duration. And if you have it now, it will never end by definition. Continues on. So the first word that really describes the life God gives us is eternal, both in quality and in quantity. The second word that describes the life that God gives us is change. Change. Look again at chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. It says there, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is the discussion on change. And what I mean is that there is a time in your life when which you were dead in your sins, and something has happened to you, if you know Jesus Christ, in which you have been made alive. So there's a change that's happened, and that's what it means when it says we have passed out of death into life. That means going from one state to another, and it could simply be translated as change. This is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 5, in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life 
He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's a basic change that happens from one state to another, and the state that you were in is death. The state that you come into is life. There is a a group of us this week that were talking about the, the new birth, about regeneration, about that coming into the life that God gives. And as we were talking about it, just a few of us, we were each sharing about how there was a time in our life where we, we lived in the darkness. We effectively lived in death. It was a time where we were given over to selfishness, to sensuality, to our own inclinations, our own desires. We had no real relationship with God. Our relationship with others was superficial. And then something happened. Sometimes even a bit unexpectedly, and it could be, for some, it was defined as a very specific time in their life. For others, it may have been just a season in life, but something happened where the, the things that you once loved, the kinds of sins and desires and inclinations that you once had, have now been overtaken in a sense by these new desires that you have to love God, love His Word, trust Jesus Christ, be with His people. And it's such an amazing switch that it leaves us sometimes scratching our head like, what just happened? That's not me. That's not the kind of stuff I like. That's not the kind of stuff I do. And as you begin to understand what's happened to you, you look back at your former way of life and you realize that you are walking in darkness to such a degree that can only be described as a life of death because everything that you were engaged in was a life ultimate leading to judgment and condemnation. And the change is so transformative in you that now you know something is in me that wasn't there before. It's not of me, it's a complete gift. These new motives, new desires, new ambitions, new affections, new thinking, new thoughts, new loves, new hates. This is life. This is life. There's a change that's happened. Doesn't mean you've become perfect, but there's an undeniable switch in you that you did not bring about, not through some great resolve, but through the miracle, miraculous work of God in your heart. And you can describe it as passing from death to life. You know now you're really alive. So the way that you look at eternal life is that there is eternity to it, eternality to it and a change that comes about. And the third word is promise. Promise. Chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Literally, it says, God promised the promise to us. This is a significant concept because the gift of eternal life is rooted in the plan and purposes of God. And any time he makes a promise, it is in order to fulfill his plans for this world. 
and his main plan in the world is to glorify himself through the salvation of sinners. And the way that he does that is by imparting his life to sinners so that they are born again, born from above, given new life, a new trajectory in life. And it would be the case that if God did not promise eternal life, we would never have eternal life. It is rooted in him. It is rooted in his plan. It wouldn't matter how many plans or how many promises we make, there would still be no eternal life for us. God had not promised it. So eternal life is a fulfillment of the promise of God. And this should give us great assurance about eternal life because it is not ultimately dependent on us. It is dependent on the one who made the promise. Can you imagine how horrible it would be if the securing of eternal life was exclusively in your hands? You would break it, throw it away, smash it, lose it, and never find it again if it was exclusively dependent on you. The reason we can have assurance that we have eternal life is because it's rooted in a promise of the God who always does what he says to do. So eternal life, eternal, brings about a change in us. It's rooted in God's promise. Then fourth, relationships. Relationships. I think this one is probably the key one that illuminates for us what eternal life is and does in us. As we think about it in context of relationships, I think it best summarizes what eternal life is about. As you read 1 John, you'll notice that there are these words that are used that are familial in nature. Father, son, children, brothers. Those are all familial. It speaks about a, a family unit. And what happens when you inherit or receive eternal life by the grace of God is that you enter into a spiritual family. There is God the Father and God the Son, and in His grace we are adopted as children of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. When eternal life comes to you, you are given new relationships, and you are defined really in a new way in relationship to God. Namely, you are his child, and collectively we are his children. We are adopted as children of God. And because of this, we enter into the family of God, which includes the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ, who has this exclusive privilege as the Son of God, the one and only Son of God. But he is not ashamed to call us brothers, it says in Hebrews. Not only that, we also have his Spirit living in us. And then as we are entered into his family, now we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we're not related to by blood, but related to through Jesus Christ. 
So all of these relationships are developed as really new, and they overtake the priorities in your life as now the, the basic relationships that you have in your life. There's the relationship that you now have with the Father. As you read through the book of 1 John nine times, he says that you have been born of God. What does that mean except that some way God imparts his life to us and brings us into his family? There's a vivid metaphor that's given in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. That word seed is literally sperma. It shows us that God's life is now in us and that we belong to him. And he who is our creator physically now is the one who makes us new spiritually. And we inherit his love, his righteousness, and we're remade in the image where it's most fully and gloriously displayed like the glory of Jesus Christ. To be born of God means to have life from him. Just as you have physical parents by which you enter into this world physically, and by virtue of that, you now have a physical mother, a physical father, and maybe physical siblings and cousins. When God gives you new life, he adopts you into his family, so now you have your father in heaven. You have Christ as your savior. You have your brothers and sisters in the church. We find our origin in him, not just our physical origin, but also our spiritual origin. It's not just that we're now animated, like with natural life, but our spiritual life comes with these family relationships. And the basic element of eternal life is that you know the one who has life in himself. Again, at chapter 2, verse 13, he writes at the very end of that verse, you know the Father. When you, when you come into this new life that God gives you, you find all these changes that have happened in you, but one thing that I think is so noticeable is almost instantly, you now have this close and intimate relationship with your maker. For some reason, all of a sudden you know him, not just about him, but you relate to him. He's there with you. And it's such a close and intimate relationship that you refer to him as what? Father. Is there a more intimate word than that? And this is way more than some sort of concocted scheme where you just recite a prayer, our Father in heaven. We know that when you have new life, you say that meaning that you know that he is everything to you. That he's your source of life, that he's there for you, protects you, he provides for you, he loves you. You know that saying Father is more than just a recitation. It is a relationship, and it's a good one. It says in chapter 2, verse 24, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Such a close, intimate relationship that it can be described as remaining or abiding in him. 
So you realize almost instantly that you have a, a new relationship with God where He is your Father. And you have a new relationship now with Christ where He is your Savior. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The relationship with Jesus Christ that comes with eternal life is now so close that it can be described as having the Son. Or chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I hear the way that many of you talk. You talk about God as your Father. You talk about Christ as your Savior. You talk about Jesus as though he's there with you, like he actually hears you, like he's present with you, like he never leaves you nor forsakes you. I hear you pray and I hear you talk to somebody that you actually believe hears you and cares about you and is going to respond to your prayers. Where does that come from? It's not some just conjuring in your own mind of a new relationship. That is the life of God come into you to give you a real relationship with the God Almighty of the universe, with the Savior who came to save you from your sins. I know how you relate to Him. It's real. You can't imagine life without your Heavenly Father. You can't imagine life without your Savior. It would be absolutely devastating to you, wouldn't it? Well, did you know that those relationships are not rooted in your own trying? They're rooted in God giving you the gift of eternal life. First John has written, so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you know God as your Father, and Christ is your Savior, truly, then that can only come from the life that God gives you been born into his family. Not only that, but you have a relationship with the Spirit as well. In chapter 3, verse 24, John writes, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us, and his presence helps us to know that God abides in us, we abide in God, because the Spirit produces in us a desire to obey God and follow Him. You can't take any credit for a real, sincere, and adequate obedience to God. That's not in you, in yourself. The Holy Spirit is the one who produces the fruit in you. And that fruit is displayed in obedience to God, not perfectly in this life, but we still live in the flesh, but it's present, it's there. You have a desire to obey God? You have a desire to follow Him? Do you know you can't do it on your own and that you need the Holy Spirit to produce that fruit in you? Where does that come from? That comes from being born into the family of God and gives you His Spirit. So your relationship with God is just totally overhauled when you're given eternal life. And then there's also the relationship with others whom God has given life. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. 
We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. The eternal life that God gives you extends into the whole family of God, which includes anyone born of God. There are others beyond you who have eternal life. And I know, as I see you on Sunday mornings, Wednesdays, or Thursdays, you love each other. You love to be around each other. You can't help but talk to each other when you see each other or share your griefs and your joys or pray for each other. Where does that come from? Sometimes we annoy each other, but we get over it. And then we love each other again and we want to see each other and be around each other. We're not naturally likable people. It's God doing this work in us to give us a love for the family of God. You're born of him. You're born into his family. You now have a relationship with God as your father, Christ your savior, the spirit who indwells you, and you love his people. That's eternal life. That's real life right now. It's not about the stuff, the material goods. It's about the relationships you have with God and with his people. Is God your father? Is Christ your savior? Is the spirit in you producing obedience? Do you love God's people, those who have been born from above? Well, then you have a new family. Why do you have a new family? Because you've been born again. And what does that mean except you have new life? That's eternal life. You have it now. And it will continue forever. That's eternal life. And that's how you can know you have it you know what it is. Let's pray. Father, we have to thank you and want to thank you for the gifts of eternal life. Thank you that you have given it to us while we are still sinners, that Christ died for us. And we praise your name because we were not looking for this. You sought us. You did not seek you. This is your gift to us and we praise you for it. We thank you. And help us to live in the life that you have given us, bringing honor and glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.